0: Welcome to the Airmen Helping Airmen podcast. I'm your host, Khalith Wright, CEO of Air Force Aid Society. Join me as we chat with extraordinary guests, share stories, and learn how amazing people are making a difference in the lives of so many Air Force and Space Force families. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. I am Kay Wright, the CEO of Your Air Force Aid Society, and welcome to another episode of our Airmen Helping Airmen podcast. It seems like I'm saying the same thing every week. Today, we have a very special guest, but this time I really mean it. I like really, really mean it. We have an extremely special guest with us today, and her name is Kristen Christie, America's Resilience Speaker. I'm going to spend just a few minutes talking to you about her background so that you can have the context necessary to understand the power that this woman wields in the resilience space. So give me one second while I talk a little bit about Kristen. So she's a resilience speaker, trainer, and coach. She was born into a military family and later married an airman, Don Christie, who served in the Air Force And she supported Don's military work for 18 years, and then his work in later years as a reservist, deeply embedded in the military community at that time, and also spent her time as a mother raising two boys. Don came home from a deployment, and Kristen noticed that something had changed, and for the next few years, their relationship was strained. She lost Don to suicide after he suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder. And that was around 2008. Around that same time, or after that, uh, her two sons, they both struggled quite a bit. Ryan, who suffered from addiction in his teen years, he eventually overcame the addiction, but then he disappeared. and, And Kristen, unfortunately, hasn't heard from him in six years now. Her younger son, Ben, left a tearful message on his 20th birthday about the hole left in his life. And I quote, I miss dad so much. And he cried in the voicemail which became part of the Air Force's suicide prevention ad efforts. This all led Kristen to become a veteran suicide prevention advocate. She's traveled extensively to give presentations on her experience with her husband's suicide, to other military spouses, and to anyone she fears who might leave their family behind. We, Kristen and I, have crossed paths several times, and she's done some work for, lots of work for the Air Force and some work for, together with, the Office of the Chief Master Sergeant Air Force when we served together. She's been working on getting March the 4th as a national day for survivors called National Resilience Day. She chose March the 4th because it holds the perfect message for what she's trying to get across. March 4th and conquer. Man, Some of her accomplishments. She was named the 2018 Air Force Spouse of the Year. I was happy to be there to give her that award. 2019 Top 30 Women Military Influencer, 2019 Colorado Springs Legacy Woman of Influence, 2020 Remarkable Woman, 2021 American Constitution Award winner. She co-founded the nonprofit Natural National Veterans Vocational Village, or NV3. Listen to this. This is really, really important. She is the sponsor of the 988 Suicide Prevention Lifeline phone number. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. And she's the first woman and military spouse in 78 years to chair the Military Af- Affairs Council of the Colorado Springs Chamber of Commerce. You can find her on all of the social media sites, so include her own website at Kristen And we'll make sure you have all of these National Resilience LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I know that was a lot, but man, I think we should give her a round of applause. Ladies and gentlemen, Welcome to the show, Kristen Christie.
1: Thank you so much. I so appreciate the opportunity to be here and to spend time with you specifically, <laughs> but with Air Force Aid Society too. So thanks. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah. Thanks again for carving out some time. As everybody can see from your bio, you're quite busy. And so we really appreciate it. It's, and it's so good to see you I always loved watching you work and seeing your presentations and the impact that you've had on so many spouses, airmen, people in general. So again, thank you. Hey, let's start with your sense of military community. So you've been a part of the military community. You were born into the military community. And then, of course, you married into the military. You've just, as as we heard, have had such an impact. What does that sense of community mean to you?
1: It's a lifeline. It's been my lifeline the entire time. And I will say I'm remarried. My new groom was Navy Reserve. I like to consider myself an Air Force recruiter because I convinced him (laughs) to cross over to the Air Force Reserve. I said, I don't understand your acronym. So come on over, let's speak the same language. But I love this community. We go through things that other industries may go through something similar, but there's a superpower In community. And we really, luckily, my parents understood that. My dad did not come from a military background. We moved every two years when I was growing up all over the world. I was lucky enough to be a Far Eastern and a a European military brat, as well as all over the United States. But one of the mantras that my parents instilled in, in me and my younger brother was we got embedded in our community. So the word community, as we say community today, a lot of different people are, it's a different meaning to different people. Mm. It could be your on-base community or installation community. It could be your neighborhood if you live off an installation. It could be your kid's school, your church, your Texas Hold'em group <laughs> that you meet with, whether it's virtual or, or in person right now. But the military community, we have an understanding of the culture. And getting embedded in that community was so vitally important for us. And I really didn't understand it until almost my 16th birthday. And I had a massive stroke. We were stationed in Germany in Wiesbaden. And I had just played Steffi Graf and Beater. She was 98th in the world. I had won the golf championship in Germany. So very, very competitive.
2: Wow. Yeah.
1: <laughs> very disciplined at 15 years old. Yeah. But when I had that massive stroke from a brain bleed, completely paralyzed, didn't know if I was going to live. It was our military community that came alongside that. That bio, I'm humbled that you read it. I did not do that alone.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: My military community was involved in all that.
0: Yeah. I just got to I got to go back for one second. Yeah. Did you say you beat Steffi Graf? Is that what you said?
1: (laughs) Yes, I did. Yes, I did. I had my whole life tanned out.
0: (laughs) Well, hey, we got to add that to the bio.
1: (laughs) I was blessed with that. And the tough part was trying to find my identity. And I went through depression. They didn't talk about post-stroke depression in 1983. So next year, 2023, will be 40 years since that day, October 29th, which happens to be World Stroke Day, Mm. it really changed my life and changed the way I thought about identity. And that was because of my military community. I thought my identity was based on what I did, being an athlete, being a good student. But really, my identity was based on my character. I was very much a volunteer in the community. So the servitude, I was self-disciplined I was a hard worker Mm -hmm. and that's my identity. So as I travel and I talk on military installations about resilience, sometimes getting over that, if you have to change your AFSC for whatever reason, right, your identity is not based on being a defender or maintainer. It's what you do. But It's really your character. Yeah. That reframing.
0: I think most people probably know you for... How you built up such a level of resilience and how you've built all of your programs and initiatives around resilience based upon what happened to Don and how you dealt with your sons. But it sounds like you had your own kind of battles with depression as a younger person. Can you talk a little bit more about the struggles that you dealt with either growing up or during the times that you were dealing with Don's passing as well as your son's?
1: Yeah, it's, I really feel like resilience is a skill to be learned just like a foreign language or any, think of any type of skill. And Vernon Law, the athlete, has a a saying that I love to use. Life is a tough teacher. We get the test first and then we learn the lesson, right? So opposite of PME, (laughs) you know, anything, school, we get the test first and... I've been through a lot of tests, that depression, that post-stroke depression. You know, they weren't used to working with a teenager who's had a massive stroke. It took me a year and a half to learn to walk again. That depression came because my mind was working, but my body was not following what I was asking, what my brain was asking of it to do. I've learned to write with my left hand now. My right hand doesn't work as well. But even just the moving... So I'm an uber extrovert. You know that about me. I can walk into the room and suck the air right out of an introvert's lungs <laughs> if I'm not careful. I try and temper that. Yeah. So you would think that moving every two years all over the world would be easy for me. But when I got into those teenage years, it was difficult leaving because I had closer friendships and deeper friendships. And it was hard leaving those. We didn't have the internet. We didn't, <laughs> you know, all of those things to keep in touch with my friends. It was writing letters and then the stroke. And then believe me, other things have happened. I've gone through other tests, pop quizzes, some are midterm, some that stroke felt like a final. And I learned those lessons, just like Vernon Law had talked about. I learned those lessons and I was conscious about those lessons. So when I had my stroke, I learned how strong I truly was, how important my faith was, what a foundation I stood on. And how the superpower in community, that there's no shame in asking for help, we're stronger together. Mm -hmm. And as I went through other tests in life, then I went back to the lessons that I learned. But more importantly, I had mentors in my life and people who had experienced tests in their life who came alongside to help tutor me through those lessons.
0: Yeah. One of the things that I really like about you, Kristen, is that unlike uh, some of us, myself included, you're an open book, like you mentioned when we first started, and you actually have shared those tests. And you sharing those tests have been so meaningful to so many people who have struggled with their own bouts of depression and suicidal ideations and, and things of that nature. So again, thank you so much for not just going through and taking those tests and and then helping but mostly helping all of us figure out the answers for ourselves as well. Hey, let's talk about if you don't mind, let's talk about Don, your first husband for a minute. So, you served by his side for many years and then but after one particular deployment, you know, he came home, you noticed something different about Don and can you talk about how that affected your relationship or what you noticed?
1: Yeah, it was 2004. He had a four-and-a-half-month deployment. He was full-time reserve squadron commander of the largest reserve squadron in all of Air Force Reserve Command. And he came home in 2003 and said, I have this task to ask for volunteers to go on a deployment And I don't feel right asking for volunteers unless my name is at the top of the list. And my heart swelled and I was so proud of him. Mm -hmm. They say supervisors and managers say go. And it's true leaders that say, let's go. And he said, let's go. He was the only one chosen for deployment at that time from that list. And he went in 2004 to be second in command of the Baghdad airport. I can't say there. And four and a half months, as many of your listeners know, seems like a really long time for both the military member and the the family member. But we heard from him every once in a while. We didn't have Skype and all that, it was via email. And he did, he came home. I noticed it was different. He was an introvert by nature, and he was more reserved than typical looking back at it because I had the pre-deployment, the post-deployment, the during deployment, yeah. give them time to re-acclimate and things like that. And we did that. But I have a regret that I was not as compassionate and understanding when he came back. But later on, I remember his fingernails were bitten down to the nubs and he was not typically a nail biter. Mm. Little things that I didn't think about. And this This was not a bad thing. He came home with aromatherapy. He smoked a cigar, which he hadn't done (laughs) before the deployment. And that was kind of his reset time. But our relationship just got, I was trying. I truly, there's a saying, forgive yourself for the things you do while you're in survival mode. Mm -hmm. And I had to do that. But it was just breaking down. And then we got an assignment to Army War College. My dad had gone, we had gone as a family to Airborne College, and it was a great year, and I thought this was going to be a reset for us. And Don reconnected with the boys, and we reconnected a little bit, but I was trying to get him help. It was, I thought I was being compassionate. He thought I was being intrusive when I say, i found some counselors for you to talk to under the table kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Kristen, did you suspect at the time that he had PTSD
1: No, it didn't really cross my mind on that. Mm -hmm. We found out later, after his death, that he was in charge of the human remains, making sure each of those flag-draped coffins gets a dignified and respectful transport home to their family members. And I think that that played a part in it. He didn't talk about it. Mm -hmm. He talked about Toby Keith coming through on a USO tour with Ted Nugent and taking, they sat in his office for a while or meeting Donald Rumsfeld when he was psych deaf on the, the tarmac. And he talked about those things, but didn't talk about the other things.
0: Yeah. Once you found out that he had PTSD, and of course it was after, you know, he had already taken his life. Mm-hmm. How was that experience? How was the next few years for you and the boys?
1: Um, very difficult. Again, we relied on our community because we were embedded in that community. It was, our boys were 12 and 14 at the time. Ryan was 14. At 16, he was diagnosed with bipolar. And his doctors had indicated that they thought that the suicide triggered bipolar in him early. Mm -hmm. Bipolar typically, some of those mental illnesses typically present in the early to mid-20s. He was 16. And I think, I am not a therapist. <laughs> I'm a SME and overcoming, if you will, uh, in resilience. But I think as a mom, if he'd had that, those years to mature before it presented, that maybe things would have turned out differently. I will say too that we went on food stamps. I had been a stay-at-home mom for 15 years. We went on food stamps mm-hmm. because my in-laws had to blame someone.
2: Mm.
1: And they blamed me. So they were suing me for the life insurance and for the benefits and things like that. And my attorney had said, you're in no emotional state to deal with all this. So just sign it over to the boys in a trust. So we did. But I'll tell you, we learned so much. We learned that the Sunday ticket for the NFL, it was it. A neighbor's house, a friend's house. We really, we ate at home most of the time. And then when we ate out at a restaurant, it was a super special time. We spent a lot of time together. We had the turmoil of losing Don and the way we did. But I still don't know how to answer the question that my boys posed to me. Why didn't he love us enough? Some people consider suicide very selfish. Don left seven notes. Answers? We still don't have answers to many of our questions, despite all that. But he thought he was a burden. Mm-hmm. So I tell our story with Ben, my 12-year-old who left that voicemail. I is 26 now. He's a government employee at Edwards Air Force Base. He's doing really well now. Mm-hmm. But it was not easy for him either. And with his permission to use that voicemail, to let people know that We kind of put the responsibility on the person in crisis to reach out for help. Mm -hmm. I want to flip the script.
2: Yeah.
1: How about those of us in a good place be more in tune and reach out and let them, I call it borrowing hope and courage.
0: Yeah. So, you know, you raise a good point. Those of us who are in a good place being able to pay more attention and reach out more. We've all been through suicide awareness training. And I think things have changed. You know, we used to, they used to teach us, look for the person that's giving away all of their stuff and all these things. What are some of the things that you think those of us who are in a good place should look out for, should be paying attention to when it comes to potentially identifying a friend or a family member who might be uh, contemplating taking their own life?
1: Yeah, there are so many signs. And as you said, we're DOD-wide. And even in across the world, we're good at talking about giving things away or, or saying goodbyes or, like I said, Don's fingernails been down to the nubs. That was, But someone had to notice that, right? Mm-hmm. Later, someone came to me and said he took his family picture off his desk. Mm-hmm. And it's being a noticer in that respect. But people are... They can be tiggers and they go into an Eeyore phase of life, which usually doesn't last very long. But if someone is just not acting themselves, more importantly, trust your gut. Yeah. If your gut, when I speak, it depends on the size of the room. But a lot of times I have people do a homework assignment. If your gut or your heart or your head is telling you, hey, I need to reach out to k Wright," then do it stop what you're doing. I will pull over into a parking lot, whether I'm running late or on time or whatever, because if I don't do it right away, I'll forget. Yeah. But I will text or I will email and just say, hey, how are you doing? And then I add my name. Yeah. Just in case the person I'm texting doesn't have like <laughs> yeah. my contact in their phone. Or I was thinking of you today. How are you doing? And it's amazing the response I get from people And actually, that is what I do twice in the morning. Every morning, I get up in the morning and I text. I randomly go through my contacts and I text two people every day. Yeah. I texted my plumber one time and he said, I think you have the wrong number. And I said, oh, no, Steve, I really appreciate what you do. So I don't have to do it. (laughs)
0: Let's talk about, so you mentioned that we should trust our guts. And Mm -hmm. if we think something is off, but how do we help people develop the courage to take that next most important step is to not only notice, but to actually say something. Because one of the things that I recall every time we dealt with a suicide when I was in is a family member, a friend, a coworker, somebody saying, you know, something told me this was off when I saw this, I should have said something or I should have realized, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. but so how do we get people to not only notice and trust their gut, but to take that extra step and actually say something?
1: Yeah, unfortunately, I went through guilt and shame. I didn't talk about our story for 10 years because of the shame and guilt. And, and I'm sure those people who come after the fact that hindsight, again, have guilt, but really it's regret. They do what they are capable of doing at the time and don't expect the outcome, right? Guilt is when you do something that you know is wrong. But I think those people have learned lessons. I felt like I failed and fail is an acronym for first attempt in learning or further attempt in learning, Mm -hmm. not final attempt in learning. Mm -hmm. And we learn those lessons. But I think as people tell their stories about, hey, my friend ended up attempting or did this, made this choice, and I saw that something was wrong and I didn't come alongside. It takes time, which is a commodity. But you know what? I would much rather Don be mad at me for driving him to the ER or wherever to get the help than to not be around.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: And it's being more in tuned, you know, that mindfulness plays a part in it too, but being more in tuned like, hey, I'm just going to go up and say, Hi, mm-hmm. how are you today? And a lot of times we'll get the answer, Fine, right? Yeah. Fine is an acronym for feelings inside not expressed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I like that.
1: And when your gut tells you they aren't fine, mm-hmm. then it's, I talked about being compassionate versus intrusive.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I call it being compassionately intrusive. Yeah. Your gut's telling, You don't have to like nag them on, you got to tell me what's going on. Be around. Right. Ask them to lunch. Yeah. it's You don't have to tell your story or be compassionate in a room full of people. It could be across the desk. You're seeing them as a person. You're noticing them. And when you use their name, that's even better.
0: This reminds me when you talk about just being available and being around and doing what what you believe people need as opposed to having the burden on them to ask for help. In Cheryl Sandberg's book, Option B, she talked about this idea of don't put the burden on, on the person that's struggling to say what they need. And so instead of saying, hey, is there anything I can help with? Just help, mm-hmm. fix the meal, yep. pick up the kid, yep. give $100.
1: Whatever you feel comfortable doing, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. So I like that. Hey, when did you first realize that So lots of us, a lot of people in general have been through the type of trauma that you have, both as an individual, as a spouse, as a mother, as a member of military community. When did you first realize that you could take your struggles and use it as a learning experience and a positive experience for others, that you could help others through what you went through? It was
1: one pivotal moment. I, after being a stay-at-home mom, being on food stamps, I finally got a job as a receptionist. I have a degree. I hadn't used it. And living in Colorado Springs, we are full of defense contractors. Mm -hmm. So I got a job as a defense, as a receptionist, as a defense contracting company. And some four friends, female friends, took me to dinner. And I showed up late and they were all laughing. And I said, what did I miss? And they said, we're taking bets on how long it takes you to become CEO. I'm like, what? They said, (laughs) you're going to be a CEO. And I said, no, I feel like I have to be with someone. Like Don was three days from pinning on Colonel. I love being a squadron commander spouse. I love doing the key spouse before key spouse was even a thing. I felt like I had to be with someone that I didn't have that sphere of influence. And these women two retired as as two-star generals in the reserve. One's a current two-star or one's a... Well, I hope she'll be a two-star. We're waiting for the the promotion board. And then one's a retired colonel. These are strong women that have their their sphere of influence, right? I thought that I had to be on their level. And they said, Kristen, you're on our level. And that was an aha moment. I have my own sphere of influence. Every person has their sphere of influence. Mm and. That's when they said, why don't you join an organization that's military-connected? Because I wanted to keep that military connection. And so I decided to join the Air Force Association, which is typically active duty, retiree, think of all that. Someone, people who have served, who have raised their right hand to serve. And I joined AFA, the third largest chapter here in Colorado Springs. And pretty soon I said, you know, why don't I get on the board? So, as a military spouse, I was on the board. Mm -hmm. So, I just, and then I became president of the Lance Beside John chapter. And then I moved to the Military Affairs Council, still bringing that sphere of influence as a military spouse to the table, Mm -hmm. right? We talk about total force, that includes families. And I'm so thankful that that includes families as well. But it took other people to see in me what I couldn't see in myself. I had limiting self beliefs. Mm -hmm. There's a saying if you talk, if you had a friend who talked to you the way you sometimes talk to yourself, how long would that person stay your friend? (laughs) Right? (laughs) I would have ghosted me a long time ago. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But it took people who were in a good place to see what I couldn't see in myself. And that's that group of women became my mentors. I would call on them whenever I needed a boost because of the guilt and shame that I was trying to shed. It's uh, They said, shame off you. <laughs> not, yeah. Shame on yeah. you. Shame off you. Again, it's not doing it a- alone.
0: Yeah. I mean, that sense of community that we started off with, I think is something that you really have mastered. And like I mentioned before, It just has such a huge impact on so many people. Speaking of impact, let's talk about March the 4th. Yes. Tell me about March the 4th. March the 4th.
1: (laughs) Yes. So March 4th and Conquer, National Resilience Day. It's a grassroots effort. Actually, I've been working on it for nine years. So I will say I don't take no for an answer, especially when they told me I would never walk again. (laughs) I said, watch me. So no to me is an acronym. I talk about acronyms in my presentations. No is an acronym. I will have a caveat right here that unless it deals with your body, that's when no means no. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, no stands for next opportunity, right? So it's a grassroots effort, March the 4th. And I chose that date because March 4th and conquer. Mm -hmm. Conquer your disappointments, your insecurities, your self-limiting beliefs, your adversities. I just, we have over 1,500 days on the National Day calendar. I love Lucy Day and National Cookie Day and National Ice (laughs) Cream Day, my favorite day, by the way. (laughs) But we didn't have one for survivors. We're all survivors of something, lost job, broken heart, death, illness. Mm -hmm. And there was nothing for survivors to remind us of how strong we really are, the lessons that we learned from the test in life. And a day for us to wake up in the morning, hold our head up high, pull our shoulders back and say, I've survived. Let me help other people and tutor them through their lessons. And so I started nine years ago. It was just talking about it. I've got proclamations from the city of Colorado Springs, from El Paso County that uh, Colorado Springs is in, the state of Colorado. I really wanted it to be on a national level. Mm -hmm. In 2020, I actually went to the State of the Union and was supposed to be in the Oval Office getting it signed as an executive order. Mm. Just one word. COVID. COVID COVID (laughs) derailed all that, unfortunately, because they were already dealing with all that. So I'm still working on getting it as an executive order. But right now, as I talk about it, I actually have a magnet Your car that says, I am resilient, because when you read that, it reminds you that yes, you are resilient. Your brain is telling you you're resilient. And it's just, it's a feel good day. Last year, Fort Bragg was having me come out on March 4th, and we were actually doing a ruck march. We were going to put bricks and stones in people's rucks and have a a resource fair, it will. And as these tables along this route, you stop and And you would get a a brochure and find out more about a resource like, not necessarily at Fort Bragg, but a resource like Air Force Aid Society. And then as you get their brochure and find out more about them, you get to take something out of your wreck, a brick or a stone. And that just represents the emotional rock that we all carry on this emotional battlefield. So little things like that.
0: Yeah, no, I was just going to say thank you for advocating for that day. That day holds a special place in my heart. I have three children and my middle son, KJ, his birthday is March the 4th. Perfect. And so that gives me a second reason to hold March the 4th near and dear to my heart. Tell me about 988, the Suicide Prevention Hotline or Lifeline, I think, as you refer to it, yeah. that you sponsor.
1: Yeah. So right now we have a 10-digit national suicide prevention lifeline. Mm -hmm. The national, it's 10 digits. Most people can't, they remember the 800 and they may remember the last four, which spells talk. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's a barrier to people in crisis or also those people who love them and care about them who will dial that number for them. Mm -hmm. Because that number is not only for those in crisis, those are for the loved ones in the the people that care to get more information on, okay, what do I do now? And it just, when we have a medical emergency, we call 911. When we have a mental health emergency, why couldn't we have something like that? So worked on it for three years with Senator Cory Gardner from the state of Colorado. He Mm -hmm. worked on a number of representatives and senators to come alongside. And it passed the House, it passed the Senate, and it became an executive order in 2020. Wow. Yeah. It is a long process. I will say we are on track to have 988 implemented as the 10 digit number will still work, but 988 uh-huh. will route all of that to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. And so it's three
0: numbers. Wow.
1: 988 when you're in crisis.
0: How soon, when will that go into effect?
1: Uh, July can't remember if it's July 16th or July 26th. Okay. But July of 2022, this summer. Yeah. And a lot of people have received from their cell carriers a text message that said, even if you're dialing a local number, you need to dial 10 digits. Mm -hmm. And in fact, a radio host we were listening to on talk radio had complained about how annoyed he was that he had to not now dial 10 digits. So I called him up. (laughs) And I let him know it's for a good cause. But that is where you see a gap and it doesn't have to be on a national level. But when you see a gap and it will make life easier for people to break down those barriers and you stand in that gap if you need to and you grab people to stand in that gap and don't take No, in that regard for an answer. No just means next opportunity, unless it deals with your body. No means no then. Yeah. But what's that next opportunity? Our kids are really good at next opportunity, right? Dad says no, they go to mom or grandma. (laughs) (laughs) So let's get that childlike atmosphere and, and that feeling of, if you know it's something good that people need, Do it, whether it's an executive order or a grassroots effort or something in your community, your neighborhood. Yeah. Just do it.
0: You've been really good at standing in that gap and advocating for so many of us as people who are struggling, as the community of people around those of us who who have struggled. So I just, again, want to say thank you for standing in that gap. Thank you for being such a superwoman. I was wondering if before we close if you could give some advice to just two two groups of people I, and I know that you've done so much for us already but just two groups of people. I wonder what you would say to first those of us out here who may be struggling with PTSD or contemplating suicide. What advice would you give to that group of people? And then secondly, what advice would you give to the people who have struggled, who understand it and who are in a position now to help the person, the people in the first group. So what would you say to the person that's struggling and what would you say to the support group of the person that might be struggling in terms of what things they could do to make life better for those of us out here who may be struggling with something on that level?
1: I've got an acronym for you. (laughs) Another one.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: Mm H-O-P-E. Okay. For those struggling... HOPE stands for hold on pain eases. Mm. Some people might say the E stands for ends. I think your listeners will understand that my pain will not ease, even if I find my son. With the lessons that I've learned, the hard lessons I've learned in life, but hold on pain eases. When I say hold on, don't hold on to yourself, okay? You've got to hold on to... One other person who's in a good place, Mm -hmm. one person. And it can be a private conversation, someone you trust. If it's a, a key spouse or a first sergeant or your chief or your commander, that's great. If it's a family member, if it's a friend that you're playing video games with who lives in halfway across the world, don't hold on by yourself because you matter. You are not a burden and it's up to those in a good place to let those know, those people know that they are not a burden,
2: Mm.
1: that we care about them. We see them just by using someone's name. That's part of their identity, right? It's the name that their parents gave them and to use their name is important. But hold on pain eases. Don't do it by yourself. HOPE also stands for, for those who are in a good place, mm-hmm. HOPE stands for help one person every day.
2: Oh.
1: Right? Ooh. It's a 2 side of a coin, you know? It's yeah. just like a challenge coin. And I'm working on getting a challenge coin made like that. But nice. But help one person every day. If that's a mom at the grocery store that's holding a two-year-old and has a crying baby in the cart, and she's trying to put her groceries on the conveyor belt, just going and helping her or you name it. But it's also helping in the way that you feel comfortable. If you enjoy mowing grass and you see a neighbor's grass is long, you don't know what the battle they're waging in their life. Mm -hmm. But I also want to say that sometimes that one person that you help every day is yourself, self-care. Yeah. You give of your overflow, not of your overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And when you take care of yourself in whatever that looks like for you, then you're stronger and you can let other people borrow your hope and borrow your courage and stand next to them. And as you gain that trust and credibility with people, then you are gonna have a hard day or a hard week or a hard month or a hard time, then you rely on those people. And you hold on pain eases and help one person every day.
0: Wow, man, I tell you, I mean, you you've left not only me, but our team here and certainly our listeners with so many good nuggets and great things to think about and consider as we deal with our own resiliency and the challenges of life and um, just as important as we deal with the folks in our community, our family members, our friends, our wingmen, our children. so Kristen, I just really really want to say thank you once again for being such an impactful and influential person in this resilience space. I'm really looking forward to the continued work that you have been and I know, will continue to do in the future. And as always, if you ever, ever need anything uh, from me personally or from the Air Force Aid Society, make sure you don't hesitate to reach out. I'll be looking for that random text or card saying, hey.
2: <laughs> you <bet>. you <laughs> How bet. you doing?
0: And I learned a lot today. And one of the things that I learned whenever I go to some course or class and whenever I teach a class, I try to get my students to commit to doing one thing different based on what they learned today. And I'll tell you, based on what you taught us today, I'm going to start waking up every morning and sending those two random texts to friends just to check in on them to see how they're doing. So thank you not only for that, but just for so many of the things that that you've been doing. Any final thoughts for our audience?
1: Yes, I will close with hope is not canceled. <laughs>
0: wow, hope is not canceled. Well, thank you so much, Kristen. Again, we really appreciate you taking the time to spend with us today. And more importantly, we appreciate all the valuable insights that you provided. If you want to know more about the great work that Kristen is doing, you can go to her website. You can see her on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, National Resilience Day, com, And we'll make sure you have all those resources. This has been your Airman Helping Airmen podcast. I'm Kay Wright, your CEO for Air Force Aid Society. And we had just a marvelous time today with our special guest, Kristen Christie, America's resilience speaker, Wonder Woman, Superwoman, you name it, she's all of them. So thanks again, Christy. and I look forward to seeing you here sometime in the future. Thank you.
1: Absolutely, thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode of Airmen Helping Airmen brought to you by the Air Force Aid Society. To find out more about how we make a difference, visit AFAS.org and then be sure to search for Airmen Helping Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are found and click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of everyone at the Air Force Aid Society, thanks for listening and join us on social media.